time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you here with us. Joining me on this special 4th of July podcast is my co-host, Jack Mannery. Jack, happy 4th of July to you, my friend. Well, happy 4th of July to you, David. We also have joining us on the podcast today as a special, Les Parker, who we usually hear a recorded version of what he has. But today we have him live. Les Parker, thank you so much for dialing in. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. I Les, got up on the right side of the bed and I was breathing this morning, so it's great. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Happy 4th of July. This podcast is created by Mortgage Professionals. It is for Mortgage Professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. And we like to add in some humor, and we're going to be doing that today. But we're really excited to be doing a special podcast today for you. We want to talk a little bit about the market. We'll talk about economic conditions, talk about what is going on and what you should consider your attitude being. This is going to be a market that I believe is going to be marked by leadership or a lack thereof. Those that have great leadership are going to succeed and prosper in this time. Those that have weak leadership are going to struggle and have a higher probability of failure. We're seeing that happen. We're seeing billions of dollars of production move from one company to another. We're going to be talking about that in the Hot Topic segment. Nonetheless, we want to thank our sponsors, Banastra Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution, Form Free. Grateful to have them. There are $3 trillion in mortgage verifications have been processed through their system. It's a great tool, as well as Lender Toolkit. SnapDocs is working backward from a future where every closing is a flawless experience. Their aim is to completely eradicate errors from the real estate transactions. Imagine that a process that is eradicating all errors. Then also Total Expert, they built one of the most successful customer journeys that you can find out there in the market. They nurture campaigns, they do texting, they do emails. And the nice thing about the Total Expert platform, it has some really cool recruiting platform aspects about that in their platform. Get a hold of one of their salespeople or call me. Josh Lear and I talked about recruiting on May 9th on the podcast. Go check that out as well as Simple Nexus. Thank you for them. We had Shane Westra and Jay on and they did a great job giving us an update in June 27th. So check out that podcast. So grateful to have our partnership with all of them. Also the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, Mortgage Collaborative, Success Kit, Knowledge Coop, as well as Mobility MMI, Modex, the Mortgage Advisory Tools and DW Consulting. Special thank you goes out to our regulars, most of who are taking the day off as they should. But we talked Les and Jack to join in on the podcast. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hear from Adam. What you got, Adam? Hi, I'm Adam DeSanctis, and welcome to the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, the Wall Street Journal published a letter to the editor from MBA president and CEO, Bob Brooksmith highlighting how special purpose credit programs or SPCPs are an effective way for lenders to responsibly help serve minority homebuyers with undue risk to taxpayers. 
The letter was written in response to a June 13th editorial that was critical of components of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's equitable housing finance plans, including the commitment to expand the use of SPCPs. You may recall that two weeks ago, MBA and the National Fair Housing Alliance announced a new online toolkit for mortgage lenders interested in developing special purpose credit programs. Go to spcp.com to access the toolkit. And finally, more than 300 MBA member companies have now signed MBA's Home for All pledge, representing a commitment to promoting minority homeownership, affordable rental housing, and company diversity, equity, and inclusion. Visit mba.org slash home for all for more information and to sign the pledge on behalf of your organization. Only one senior member signature is required. Now that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Yeah, good job, MBA. Home for all and lower rents. My gosh, pretty so expensive rents are going up like crazy out there. It's just a good motivator to get into home ownership. So grateful for the MBA and all of their programs and efforts on the Hill to support our efforts as lenders and those of us in the mortgage industry, whether we be direct or supporting in some way, shape, or form, as we do as a consulting firm and a podcast, we just support the MBA. So grateful for our partnership with them. Be sure to sign up for the MBA. If you're not signed up, you're not a member, you need to become a member. Why not support this organization with your membership? Get involved. Meet other peers in the industry at the conferences. These conferences are put on intentionally with great, great content and speakers. I've been a speaker at a number of them. We're grateful for them. And we're just encouraging all of you to sign up. And you must also sign up. And this doesn't require any fees, any money, not a zero zip. And that's sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app. We always refer to it as MAW. You can find it in your app store. Check it out, download it, and have your voice heard. So easy to do. It's a few clicks and your support of what MBA is doing or whatever position you want to take on any of that. You don't have to exactly sign up with the MBA. Saying most do, and I do, so you can have your word heard. So encourage you to do that. Seeing as many of our regulars are out and gone, we're going to get right into a great discussion. So Jack and Les, again, thank you so much for joining me on this holiday for a special podcast about what's going on with interest rates and have we seen the highs, Les? <laughs> this is not the time to try to be picking highs and lows. It's a crazy time. But let's start off with you, Les, talking about the market. I want to start off with Independence Day. Are you ready for this? The absolute worst treasury performance took place in 1788 until the first half of this year. Until the first half of this year. So tell us about that. I'm interested in your comments. Yeah, so Deutsche Bank actually did the research, and they looked at the total return of U.S. treasuries, which they had to do proxy. You're going back over centuries. They looked at the index, and at the end of May, so the first five months of a year, the return on the treasuries was down below 10%. And the last time it was below 10% was in 1788. And that time it was close to 30. It was 28% or so. Negative return, loss. Considering it was after the Revolutionary War, and we were skipping the lenders that helped us free from the crown, and all of us that are Tories would have been supporting the liberation of American colonies. Now, there are plenty of loyalists out there today that probably would have been on the side of the crown, but that was the last time that it was that bad of a performance. That is quite amazing. Jack, did you know that detail? I didn't have that in mind. I did not know that. 
Pretty important. Pretty interesting. <laughs> it's Deutsche Bank's research. You're reporting on it. Well, so we'll give you the credit as a reporter. I'm reporting on it. On it. Just like that. Matt, Matt Graham, he just reports. So Les Parker more or less reports. You might as well sign up for Les's newsletter. You could do so by going to tmspotlight.com and put in the word power for power seller to get signed up on it. Tell us a little bit about your newsletter, Les. For those that, this may be a good opportunity. I mean, you are up at O Dark 100. You write this uh, every single yeah. night, and you're coming up with a music parody, and you don't even know most of the songs that you put in your parodies. I just did one the other day, and maybe somebody out there will recognize this. It's candy, candy, candy. Bears can't let it go. Trades are crazy. Bulls know maybe candy gladly. Now, I imagine that was probably talking about a different type of candy that I think about. Right. But anyway, but it's Candy Candy is the name of the song. Tell us a little bit about what all that goes into that newsletter. Well, actually, I started in 1994. And before that, I wrote together for about six years with Greg Crosby, and that's who sponsors the newsletter. I've been writing a long time, and here's how you can teach an old dog new tricks, and that's if they sign up for Grammarly. So my grammar <laughs> is bad. Till the last four years, I've now been using Grammarly, and I write better now than I oh, yeah. ever have written, simply because oh. I have to correct the 16 to 20 errors almost every letter so that tells you how yeah. bad i am but the, your dedication to this doing this for as many years as you have less and you have some of the industry leaders some of the top ceos read this faithfully every single day and they always say if you want to be successful do what successful people do so successful people are reading your newsletter i do know there's two people that i can mention well jack's been very kind in his words over the years but stan middleman who's the owner of Grand Poobah, I'm not quite sure what the title is, at Freedom. He yep. uses it to help formulate what his long-term outlooks are. And he's also very insightful. He is a student of the market, much like how Jack Nunnery is. Then yeah. another person that is somewhat of a competitor to us at the Transformational Mortgage Solutions, but he is a great representative of our industry, is Joe Garrett. And Joe Garrett focuses more on banks and he used to be the president of uh, Thrift out on the West Coast. He's been owner in various different banks, and he's on the board of one of the most successful. They have the highest ROIs in the industry. He lives in Northern Cal, but he faithfully reads the newsletter, and I appreciate his positive comments. He's invited me to come to his annual dinner for his customers, and our friend to this show is Doug Duncan, and another friend to this show is the attorney that we both know and love. Yes. Yeah, so when Joe Garrett has been at his dinners, he stands up and he says, I read Les Parker's newsletter every day. It's for 200 of his faithful customers. And he writes a newsletter. It's once a week, and it's full of anecdotes and all types yes. of things about movies and songs. Yeah. Good. Uh, Good stuff. Terrific writer as well, but you do a great job. I want to give a shout out. Encourage people to sign up for your newsletter when the leaders and some of the top mortgage professionals in our industry are reading it every single day. I would encourage you listeners to do so as well. There's a big okay. huge negative with this. I have to deal with depression regularly over writing the newsletter because I know that about half the readers only read 
my subject line and go down to what the song is. So I have to deal with that they don't care about my content. They only care about my subject line and the song parody. And the music so parody. once I kind yeah. of deal with that every day, life's tough. Know that people only appreciate your song parodies. Well, they are good, but I appreciate the whole letter. It is one that I've read for years and years and years, and I think it's just outstanding. Good job on that, and I thank you for your faithfulness to that. It's helped many of us actually learn a lot about the capital markets as along the way. So be sure to sign up at tfspotlight.com and you can put in the word power and you get the paid version for free. There you go. Jack, you've been reading it for years as well. Any thoughts you want to add before we move on? Well, anybody in this world that helps me sound smarter than I really (laughs) am, I appreciate that effort. And unless this newsletter I would read before I would go into our monthly governance meetings or balance sheet committee meetings when I worked for a bank, and I had topical, timely comments to make in those meetings that were not my own. They were parroting Les Parker. So Les has always been a fave of mine, David, because he just made me come across smarter than I really was. So I uh, much appreciated, Mr. Parker. It's interesting. There's uh, another person I have a lot of respect in this business. His name's David Brown. A lot of people know him as Dave yeah. Brown. He's the head of cap markets over at Supreme Lending. And that's the same thing he says. So obviously there's some tidbits in there that people are able to latch yeah. on. Dave, I just realized something that I have never that? mentioned on the program. And it's something that I think we should. So in the newsletter are anywhere from one to sometimes it gets up as as many as five charts and graphs. And a lot of people don't like charts and graphs. I happen to really like charts and graphs. Me too. But the people that create charts and graphs are kind of like people that figure. There's those that we know that liars figures and figures lie. So you have to kind of watch out for graphs and put them in context. And I do try to put them in the context or at least select thoughtful ones. But they come from a guy that publishes and it costs just around $200 a year to subscribe. And it's called The Daily Shot and it's Lev Bordowski. He's a PhD. He did hedge funds. He's been an analyst for a long, long time. He's astonishing that he puts together 30 different charts Every single business day, it gets published about 5 a.m. Eastern, Monday morning all the way through Friday morning. And he only shuts down, I don't know, a few, maybe five or six times a year. So you're getting a lot of information. And he collects these from leading people that are putting out very good stuff. It's sometimes a little hard to understand and decipher what they're really saying. At least I have some trouble with it. but. He is a neo-Keynesian, but he does a really good job at just a short sentence and charts. And to give you a little bit of content. Name of the company in? The Daily Shot. All right. Got it written down now. The Daily Shot. Yep. Anyone could enjoy it. I know people that have gotten their kids turned on to reading these, looking at these charts. Global Macro Current Visualize. That's what he calls it. Global Macro Current visualize and it's the daily shot.com it's astonishing what he does so and i appreciate uh, it and he allows me to freely use 
these in republishing them. Now, you're getting that's them good. a day later because we'll get it right. at 5 in the morning. And so that next night, I'm doing it. And that's probably one reason why he's comfortable with it. But he's good. That's good. Well, I encourage that. I was raised by a dad who took the sports page out of the Sunday paper and says, if you want to be popular at all the parties, read the sports page. You can talk a lot about it if you want to make money, which obviously I was raised by an entrepreneur and making money was a kind of a stated goal. And so we threw away the sports page and we just went into the business section. So we would have subscribed to that if it was available to us back in the 50s and 60s. I would have loved that. But I love graphs. I always get the messaging because of what you write, and it's really taught me so much about the capital markets. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop the presses, Dave. <laughs> you were only allowed to read the business pages. So how did you become a great singer, and how uh, that... did you become a top loan officer without knowing some sports? I, I picked up on it, but it was not. It, it's oh, the so the not, truth not... comes out to the audience. Well, the point is this, is that I was raised in the family that stressed the importance of the business section and took us through the analysis. And my dad taught me from the earliest ages of what sectors were P&E ratios are and why certain companies are. We worked on the fundamentals. And then later I learned about the momentum of trading and all of that plays into what we're doing, which is really why I'm so glad we're all together on this podcast. What I want to get into is the economic data. But before we do, Les Parker made me aware of another tidbit of information that you need to learn about my co-host. And that is Jack Nunnery. Did you know, listeners, the reason Jack is so effective on the podcast and was so excited to join me and had talked about it two years before he actually retired is that he is one of the top, top five debaters in the United States at the collegiate level. Are you aware of that? Les Parker made me aware of that. So a round of applause and a celebrate for a minute. Jack Nunnery, your phenomenal ability. Yes. There we go. There's a round of applause. Just to keep the facts factual, I was top five in high school. Then I oh. was recruited to debate in college. I was president of our forensic society at the University of Florida back in my day and debated all the way up till about halfway through my senior year. And after debating for six and a half years, David, I just burned out at that point. And I focused on oh, uh, getting a diploma. And then other things like, what am I going to do when I grow up? Kind of starts kicking in towards the end of your college degree. But so it was even in high school, which is even more impressive to me. Very good. I started in my sophomore year and in high school and just loved it. Yeah. But David, I've got a question for Les. Yes. So yes, last week, David, you and I were talking about the 10-year and whether or not we had hit the ceiling with it. And you had some very good insight, I thought, with regards to the focus of the markets, and I say markets, the bond market, the equity market has been on inflation. And now as the focus begins to bifurcate, and a lot of the focus is now turning to recession, that has impact on the bond market. If you could share that thought string with the audience, because it, yes. it really helped frame it for me mm -hmm. why we saw the 10-year run and run and run, and now there's hope that as we enter into most likely a recession, that we could see a rally in the tent. If you could share your thoughts around that, it was very helpful framing it up for me, Les. 
So I have a question for you, Jack. Do you play chess or did you play chess when you were in high school or college? I was on our high school chess team. I actually had a U.S. Chess Federation rating. High school, I, I sat first chair. I was undefeated. I had one draw, and I won every other match. Well, I, well I'm not surprised. That's what I would expect because I think top debater, I would expect, also has the reason you were probably a top debater is the same reason why you would be very good at chess, and that is you're seeing multiple moves ahead where your debater, whether you're the affirmative or the negative, you knew where the other side was going to be going, and so you were able to have your counter punches if you're a negative, or you were able to know how they were going to attack you negatively. You could address it in a proactive way in your affirmative presentation. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. You always tried to stay at least two, and if you could get out the three or four moves ahead on the chessboard, then you were on fire that day. So I've heard that grand masters, I understand, can go out 20 moves ahead. Wow. And I couldn't do that, and that's why I got into mortgage banking. That's kind of where I want to go with understanding why, because there's got to be plenty of people saying, wait a minute, what happened? Mortgages were up 50 basis points just 10 days ago, and now they're down 50 basis points. How can that happen when we only hear all of the headlines on inflation and we know that the Federal Reserve is just beginning its tightening? So how can it be if they're just starting to increase rates and they're just starting to reduce their balance sheet and we have more and more inflation numbers that are still at these high levels and we hear fresh data coming out of Europe with high inflation, even higher than what the U.S. is running, then how can rates be going down? Don't you get those type of comments, Jack? I'm going to put myself in that class of people that was asking that question going, whoa, wait a minute. We're so early cycle in the Fed's response to inflation. What does the trajectory of this thing look like, right? And then I did a lot of reading and I started adding in the other drivers to it. But you capsulized it last week when David and you and I were talking. Yep. So one more thing to help people understand what I'm getting ready to say. I remember really admiring Bobby Fischer. Some in this audience wouldn't know about, but Bobby Fischer is considered the best U.S. chess player yep. in history. And yep. he beat the Russians. And historically, it was only a Russian to be able to be a grandmaster and be the best in the world and win the grandmaster championship, whatever it's called. And Bobby Fischer won. And he became a national hero over that. It was similar embracing, even as when Neil Armstrong put that first small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. That was the magnitude of what he did. It was comparable to the miracle on ice in the 1980s when the U.S. won hockey yeah. for the first time in the gold medal. So I was watching him on an old Johnny Carson, and he was being interviewed by Johnny, and it's actually a hoot to watch. It was just hilarious how they interacted with one another. And there's a Rubik's Cube. Some people know about that. It was a craze for a while. It's still available. You can still try and do it. And Bobby Fischer was asked, well, how can you do the Rubik's Cube? Yeah. 
It was kind of just deadpan. And so how long does it take you? It takes me 10 seconds. <laughs> it was an absurd number like that. And here's Johnny. Didn't believe it. So they handed it to him. He does it. And he timed it. And it was that length. And the only way you can do it is you have to think forward. That puzzle is hard. It's hard for me. But the only way you can solve it is to know where you're going with each move. And if that's what it's like for a Rubik's Cube, and we think about chess in a two-dimensional chessboard, you have to be the best in the world. You have to think forward 20 moves. Well, then what is happening in an extremely complex system, that is global finance, how many moves ahead do you have to be to be really where the cutting edge of finance is? You have to be way ahead. Before I get to this final conclusion, one more thing. I wish everyone in the audience knew about that. They may remember the collapse of the Russian ruble. Mm-hmm. Some might remember that. And by the way, not this go-round of the collapse, but not the one that took place in the 90s. And some may remember that long-term capital was a fund that had been investing yeah. in various bonds around the world. 1999. And everyone yeah. I, that hears us today, everyone that's pulling this down on the podcast, if you don't know about long-term capital, Go read it on Wikipedia. They do a fine summary of it. And it was a real interesting power play. But the long and short of why, this may be why they failed, but I believe it was five Nobel laureates as part of the fund. That may have been why they failed, because of hubris. The reason they failed in a short version is they thought they could arbitrage different markets with liquid it's the Russian bonds and other countries, and they would hedge them with liquid instruments, treasuries. Mm-hmm. It's more complicated than that, but that gives you the sense of it. Anytime you're trying to arbitrage, where you're trying to pick up an edge because of inefficiencies in the market, it requires that you be somewhat similar instruments. If you aren't, you will get burnt by liquidity absolutely destroyed. Long-term capital is a great example of hedging something that's illiquid with something that's liquid. So now I'll give you the thing on the bond market, why it is that we are where we are now. And by the way, in a new bull market right now, we're in a bull market. Technically, the market's been off a little bit, but we're still, we're now in a bull market. So how is it at three-fifth bond market reversed and dropped 50 basis points over the last couple of weeks. It's because the shift, and it only takes small shifts from a inflation mindset for investors to a recession mindset. So now rather than being obsessed about the latest news on inflation, how much higher oil is, where is oil gonna go, copper's going to the moon, gold is stable, but it's not losing value. So therefore we know that we're in a market that seems to be inflation oriented. Other currencies are dropping against the dollar. So those other countries are having problems with inflation. When will it happen to the United States? When's the dollar gonna collapse? So all of that, stuff is going on in people's minds, whether they're equity investors, whether they're fixed income investors, whether they're private equity funds, whatever people are investing in. So when you shift from an inflation mindset for investing to a recession mindset, 
then all of a sudden rates will drop. Because now people are wanting to know, how do I preserve my capital? Exactly. Um, and I find yep. any type of return. So basically, inflation got swallowed up by recession. Now, I'm Fear. so glad you brought up the long-term capital. That is such an important piece of history that I don't know that it's been studied enough, especially in light of where we're at today and some of the things going on. I think it's something. Jack, you remember those days. you want to add any comments to that? I'm still following less down the path of, market attention shifting from inflation to recession. And we're going to find out, David, what, July 28th at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time in the morning, whether or not we have met the technical definition of a recession. That's when Q2 GDP is released. I know that the Atlanta Fed GDP now estimate for Q2 was revised down on June 30th to a negative 2.1%. So the Q1 numbers for GDP came in negative 1.5, and then they were revised to negative 1.6. And so if the Atlanta Fed GDP now forecast, which uses about 13 subcomponents that make up GDP, but if that's Minus 2.1. Well, if it's minus anything, David, we will have met the technical definition of a recession, and and so we will be in one. And that's important. I mean, you still look back at 2020, we were at a GDP growth of a negative 2.3. So, I mean, less, what do we anticipate with this? We as the lenders, the loan officers, the business owners make up such a big part of our listing audience. Where are we heading, in your opinion, on rates? I know a lot of volatility, a lot of factors that go into that, but in a macro sense, where do you think we're heading, Les? Well, right now we're in a bull market. Fundamentally, there's a major battle still going on. Where ultimately, you would think that the secular bull market, which began in the mid-80s, has not officially ended yet. Now, we've gotten close, and we had one time, I think, in the early 2000s where we almost turned and wiped out the secular bull market, so significantly lower rates. But it hasn't happened yet. This is a big test, right? We had a rapid rise in interest rates, the fastest rise in mortgage rates that I'm ever familiar with. To increase 300 basis points in basically four months, that's a lot. Yeah. And every loan officer out there knows that. And the people that are home looking for a new job on where they're <laughs> going to lead production, because we need a lot of massive layoffs, they know about that. There's two things that I anticipated in November of last year were going to happen. I announced it on your program, okay. is that we're going to see higher volatility, and we were going to see mortgages underperform treasuries. And it'd be a significant widening, simply for the very simple reason the Fed was not going to be buying mortgage-backed securities anymore. If they're not going to be a big player in mortgage-backed securities, then it's left to the international and, and primarily the domestic market in the United States. Well, now you've cut production in half. There's adequate domestic interest in owning mortgage-backed securities. But getting to that point meant we had to have a significant adjustment in the market. So that's why spreads widened out significantly. And now mortgages are very attractive as an investment. So if they're attractive as investment, right now I'm looking mortgages to outperform treasuries, and I also Mm -hmm. expect volatility to remain fairly high 
because of the transitions, the stuff that Jack has already talked about of where kind of the market's headed. And it's interesting, Dave, your opening statement about the people that have good leadership are the ones that are going to survive. The cream of the crop rises to the top, not because of best sales techniques. It's Mm -hmm. not because they are the best capital market people in the world. Those are important. But it really is because of the best leadership. Get through leadership. If you're facing rough waters, who do you want at the helm of whatever vessel you're sailing if you're facing rough waters? Or if you're out in bodies of water and storms are coming, who do you want to be captain of your ship? My vote's for Sig Hansen of the Northwestern, which is one of the more noteworthy crab boats on the TV show <laughs> Deadliest Catch. And that's why I wanted to stress that because you bring so many wonderful parallels. So many Jackisms are spoken. It's legendary. And oh. I'll never forget when you were at TCB and you retained me to help you on some things and we were having some disagreements, I'm thinking, and you said, hey, Lickin, if we ain't rubbing, we ain't racing. I love that. I hung on to that. And I think a lot of people avoid conflict. And I go, the healthiest organizations have conflict, but it's a healthy conflict. And that goes back to the leadership comment. I've just got to say this quick story. So I'm sitting in the office of the CEO of a $36 billion mid-tier bank, okay? Right. And so the CEO was in there and the president of the bank was in there. And they asked me, well, what makes good leadership? And asked the CEO, I said, do you watch The Deadliest Catch? And he said, oh, I love it. I said, it's Sig Hansen. I mean, because basically Sig, he's a very authoritative leader, but on the Northwestern, there's role clarity. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing it. He always catches a full quota of crab. And despite 40 foot waves on the Bering Sea, everybody on that ship knows they're coming back to Dutch Harbor alive. Right. And so when you think about that from a leadership position, I mean, it touches on some of the most important aspects of leadership, confidence, clarity, empathy. And in the mortgage business, even more so, Lesson David, because we know it's a volatile business and we know volumes go way up, volumes go way down, volumes go way back up again. Right. And yep. what happens? Work. Forces expand, they contract, expand, and contract. And you want to be part of an organization where the leadership has a clear plan, they communicate it, they share the success or the challenges that they are experiencing with the plan, with their team, and the team believe that the ship is going to come back to Dutch Harbor intact, right? I want to be working for that kind of organization in a market like this. And we have got some rough seas. That is such a good metaphor for that show, specifically Sig and his boat, the Northwestern. And the fact that you can go out into some of the heaviest seas when you are led by someone who has such a successful track record. And it's not always because he's warm and fuzzy and friendly with everybody in there. You hear out that some of the banter that goes on and it's serious business. I mean, it's life and death, but they bring it back. And I love that analogy. You brought that up the other day. I'm so glad you raised that up. And that we're seeing, Jack, unless people move. I'm aware of a $2 billion production group, $2 billion annually, moved with no signing bonus, no really incentives. Reason, because they're with a great company. 
but they moved to another company for that very reason. They knew they were going to be able to catch more loans. They were going to survive the rough seas, and they were in a culture that guaranteed them what they wanted to be around, that replicating of success. I think that's what's going to be such a big factor as we come through into Dutch Harbor, when we come into the calmer waters. But the question back to Les is, when do we see calmer waters, Les? That's an interesting question in itself. Those that listen to you regularly, they may notice that there's a reoccurring theme overall with Licking on Lending, and that is you come back to leadership. There's a reason why Dave always comes back to leadership. And let me give you in from the financial side why you want good leaders. I'm going to say a fancy thing here in just a minute, but there's a principle in option theory about how you price options and and how you price options is essentially it is displaying the cost to lay off risk. If you buy an option, you are Mm -hmm. reducing risk. So there's some price for that. When you are trying to model what the prices should be, they price it off of a normal distribution. So that's where it gets a little fancy. But it just means that there's a regular way of looking at how markets perform, and they have to apply some type of model so they use a normal distribution for the base of their modeling. You don't need to understand what that means, just that it's normal. It's kind of like the option writer has a certain amount of saying, oh, but not everything is normal. It's also A-B normal, kind of like when young Frankenstein, when he told Igor to go get a brain, and he went to get it, he dropped the good one, and then he saw the one next to it said A-B normal, and that's the one he brought to (laughs) Dr. Frankenstein to put into the monster. So in the case of financial modeling, we know that it's not normal. We know that it, even though we price it like it's normal, there's plenty of abnormality in financial markets in the way they function. And the fancy term we say for that is we say that the markets have fat tails. And yes, you're allowed to make fun of that. So if we know that the market is not going to always be normal, and we also know that there's fat tails that it's going to get outside of the normal distributions regularly, regularly in the sense of predictably, and that it happens a few times a year, then there's more frequency than people think, then you need to have people at the helm that understand that there's events that are outside of normal. Yeah. If you just trust your financial model and everything is a normally defined model, guess what's going to happen to you? You yep. are going to lose. So now you need to have leadership that understands when events happen that are outside of expected, then how are they going to respond? And I think the best example of challenging leadership was what happened with Scully. Sullenberger, who was the pilot for the U.S. Airways 320 Mm -hmm. and the Miracle on the Hudson in 2009. Mm -hmm. And what happened is they took off and they hit a flock of geese. And so when that happened, they knew 
they went, uh-oh, we're in trouble, right? It's kind of like, Houston, we have a problem. So because of great leadership that was piloting at that time, they made the decision they meant to ditch the plane very quickly, right where what was happening. We knew yeah. that the ferries are going back and forth there. They also yep. knew that they would be able to control it, relatively speaking, and ditch it there in calm water. So they knew that they could get people rescued very quickly. They knew that they could have it in a spot where they knew they had still somewhat control of the panic situation. And yet the flight department or the tower really wanted them to go all the way down to the southern tip, down to the financial section, take it on upstream and try to land the plane. And he knew we wouldn't make it in time. Good. There's yeah. bridges over there, but a couple of them really close, and they would have been ditching near a bridge. It could have been a disaster. He went through all of those things. So quickly. And it he piloted yeah. to success yeah. with no deaths. And no uh, in fact, I think only a couple people got wet that were yeah. out on the tip of the wing it's another really good metaphor about someone who is uniquely equipped the calmness and the leadership that he brought into that moment i mean if you haven't seen the movie folks go watch it most of us have again it's really coming down to the leadership issue that's going on but i think it's an understanding another thing about that story that wasn't reported on as much was that he is a glider pilot he knew exactly the attitude the angle of attack as they went into the water and he had that. That's just another piece of little data. So I think it's a combination of strong leadership along with great information. And I want to come back to you, Jack, because at your last place, everyone knows it's Texas Capitol, and I know you try to be very respectful of that, but you did an amazing job of leadership there. But Jack, as we wrap this up, you banked billions of dollars, and you watched many, many mortgage bankers go through different twists and turns of the market. Now, nothing quite like what we've seen here just recently as Les talked about. But for those that are listening to this podcast, I think we got their attention when we talked about the deadliest catch and SIG's success and the great and Western making it into Dutch Harbor. And Les is talking about Sully just now. What are the characteristics that you would recommend our listeners start really developing, honing, working on to be one of the ones that succeed and getting back into Dutch Harbor or landing their plane safely in the Hudson? If I look at the characteristics that make up a good leader, and there are many of them, David, I think there's really three that stand out above the others to me. And the first one is you have to be genuine as a leader. You have to have empathy. I mean, your staff's reality is different than the reality of your leadership team. And one of the things that I did, and I think it was very successful, was I took the time to get to know as many people well on my staff as I could. And I used to call it waltzing Matilda. And I would make time every week to just get up out of the desk and walk through the various floors that housed the mortgage finance division at the bank that I worked with. And I talked to them How's your kids doing? Where are you guys going on vacation? To genuinely show that you care about them, right? That they're not just widgets sitting in desks that are moving files from the left side of their desk to the right side of their desk so they can go to the left side of the next person. Yeah, and I want to interject real quickly there, Jack, if I can be so rude to interrupt you in this. Remember exactly where you are because I want you to continue on because it's such an important part. But Les, I was there with them, and we were in a meeting. 
And he actually got up from the table, interrupted. He looked down his watch. He says, David, it's time to waltzing Meltilda. He, and I said, what? And he goes, well, follow behind me. And I got to watch him. And I've watched Jack in many, many meetings. But of all the things you enjoyed doing, Jack, there was something that just lit you up when you got to go walk the floor and waltzing Matilda by talking and interacting with people. You just lit up. It wasn't a, oh, gosh, I got to go out and talk to my people. You came alive in that moment. And what was the motivating factor there? I watched it. I well, witnessed it firsthand, Jack. What was it that lit you up? It was notable. Well, first of all, I genuinely like interacting with people. But the driver behind it, David, I don't care how smart you are. You can't do it all. Your yeah. success, my success, is a product of the team. And so you really have to connect with the people. Look, if you're going to ask people to run through a brick wall for you, they got to really respect you. And I knew that we were only going to go as far as the team would take. And I was a role player, right? I'm the guy that sits up the top and I say, tack the sailboat to the port, starboard, drop the mainsail, right? I didn't do the work. Right. And so the team is going to take me as far as I'm going to go and not an inch farther. And so I've got to have the team believing that I respect them. I respect the job they do and the contribution that they make. And I actually care about. It. And so that's what drove me to walk the floors. And I did it a couple times a week. And I'd make sure that if I talk to somebody on Tuesday and I miss somebody, that I get them on Thursday or Friday, right? That I try to talk to as many people that I could in a most sincere manner and not about business unless they wanted to take it there. That's so good. It was something to behold. It came from a genuine place in your heart, and I saw the energy. And you always came back more refreshed. After that, because we'd oftentimes go to lunch after you were done waltzing Matilda walking the floor, and it gave you life and energy, which goes back to your talking about the Deadless Catch and specifically SIG and pulling into the harbor. I think this is a time that we are in very rough water, and I think we're going to see it for the rest of the year. I quite frankly think there's things yet to come that are going to be so far out of the ordinary, so statistical anomalies that we never could have anticipated. Oh, thank you for that segue, David, because one of the things that I wanted to get into this podcast, look, it's a volatile market, origination volume down 40%, yeah. but it reminds me of a line out of the movie Mary Poppins. And so Dick Van Dyke was playing the role of Bert it was at the beginning of Mary Poppins, and he was a one-man band. So he had the yep. drum, cymbals on the knees, yep. and all that. So he's making something that sort of sounds like music. And then wind blows in from the north, right? And the character, Bert, says, what's about to happen has all happened before. I think that's really relevant to what we're going through now because I mean, we've seen the market contract hard, and this is no different than a number of times over the last 20 years where we've had really challenging circumstances that we had to battle through as an industry in terms of origination volume and cost to originate, and we're in the middle of that now. And that really goes back to my second thing that a leader has to be able to get 
control of and command of is consistency or stability. I know we've all worked for an organization that seemed to have well, what I call agenda paralysis, and that is mm-hmm. every six months changing how you're approaching the market. It even happens in managers and leaders, right? I used to say I've worked for people that had an agenda in every pocket, right? Their pants pocket, their jacket pocket, and depending on which way the wind was yeah. blowing, whether or not it was market winds or organizational political winds, they would pull out an agenda that aligned to that. And so whether or not it's at an organization level or at a leadership level, you have to be stable, you have to be consistent, and you've got to have your game plan and you execute against that game plan. And you can't be changing with every little change in the wind, David. So true. And I think that's so well said. You both have brought out some great content here in this podcast today. And I'm so (laughs) grateful for both of you taking time out of your Independence Day celebration, 4th of July, to share some really great pearls here for our listening audience. We could go on and on, but out of respect to your holiday and our listeners, we'll wrap it up with that. I think that's pretty well done. Parting words, less thoughts as we go to the exit? Oh, well, I think we've really have helped people understand that vision leadership is critical for understanding markets and to guide yourself through the rough waters of markets. I wanted to leave with this final thought. It's about Walt Disney. And Walt Disney, a year before his death, he died in December of 1966. And in late 1965, he announced the plans to develop Disney World. So one person said once, wow, made a comment, could you even imagine how fabulous this is? And someone responded, he says he already saw this whole thing. He already saw it, yeah. That's vision. And he That's did. He didn't ever have to see it. He knew exactly what it was going to be. That's mm-hmm. great leadership. Great leadership sees when nobody else sees. Great comment. I would encourage everyone. We're throwing out a lot of names out here and things that I recommend everyone, and I've said this on several podcasts. It's worth repeating. Go get the book American Icon, written by Bryce Hoffman. It documents what Alan Mulally did at Ford. And it also, in the early parts of the book, it talks about what the leadership he brought to Boeing to turn it around. There's so many great stories. I'm recommending it to all my clients to read it, all the management teams I'm consulting to and coaching, read this book. It's really good. And one of my clients said, hey, Dave, now why am I reading this? What are the things I should be pulling out of it? It's look for the principles by which he led to one of the largest organizations in the world and navigated them through some of the roughest seas like SIG does every week on the deadliest catch. So folks, it's been a joy to get together with you on this holiday, Jack and Les, thank you so much for joining me on this graciously giving of your time in this holiday. Appreciate you both very much. And listeners, we're so grateful to have you here. That wraps it up. We want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Form Free, Lender Toolkit, SnapDocs, Total Expert, Simple Nexus, as well as the MBA, Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative Success Kit, Knowledge Coop, Mobility MMI, Modex, Mortgage Advisory Tools, and DW Consulting. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everybody, and enjoy your 4th of July. Look forward to having you back here next Monday. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. 
Join us next week, and thanks for listening.